Hey, it's Kellen. And today you guys are going to go on a journey. I mean, from Alaska to Argentina, from 35 countries in Africa recently, Dan Grek, the road chose me. That's his YouTube. That's his Instagram. That's his Facebook. That's his Twitter. That's also his Kickstarter. And the link is going to be below. I want you to listen, watch, and then act and get this book. I'm doing it myself because I have to know more than even the questions that I'm going to ask about this guest that we're having on. Dan, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Kellen. Thanks for the intro. That's uh, hyping me up a bit. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you, I love your YouTube. And I'm someone who I don't just watch YouTube. I represent YouTubers. You know, we'll be at VidCon this year and we do the events. But if there was a YouTuber who was slept on for an award, I would give it to you because (laughs) your content is great. Your adventure is awesome. And I mean, the fact of just everything you've put together, like just a one-man army, I mean, I just applaud you and, and welcome. Oh, thanks, Kellen. I really appreciate it. You know, I, I don't have a production crew. There's, there's no film crew following me around. So it's just me and a GoPro and, an, and a camera. And I just try my best to show what it really looked like when I was out there in Africa. What, you know, I don't want to say what sparks this. The book will be full of this is why. And your YouTube also tells people, oh, this is why. And I want them to go to the YouTube. So there's some things I'm going to leave out intentionally. But that you don't have a film crew, but you're able to get all these shots. If TV was smart, they would have been beating down your door and say, let's give you a film crew. No one else is bold enough to do this. <laughs> but but what, what gave you the expertise in being able to capture these shots and, and go and do these adventures? To, to do the adventures, Kellen, I really just learned by trial and error. You know, I used to do little trips close to home on the weekends Then I started doing kind of week-long trips. Um, And then my first big one was kind of up to Alaska. So that was a really good way to practice, you know, my vehicle, all the gear, the maintenance, what it was like to camp every day. Um, So that's how I learned how to kind of do the adventures. And then crossing borders. I mean, the first few times I did it, like driving into Mexico and driving into Guatemala, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I just kind of kept a smile on my face and shook lots of hands. and, And I figured it out. It wasn't that hard. And then... And then for the filming and the photography, it's just lots of practice. You know, I, I started out, I would just have my camera on auto and I would just press the shutter. And now, you know, I've read a bunch of books and I've watched a lot of YouTube videos and just self-taught, really. Wow. So, so no training, no, no college. You didn't go to the school of Peter Hurley or anything like that? Well, it's kind of a funny story. I did actually go to university. Um, I'm an engineer. I'm a computer software engineer. But I don't want to do that anymore because it doesn't make me happy. It, it doesn't, you know, make me feel fulfilled in life. And I don't want to spend the next 35 years just sitting at a desk. Now, I know when you're probably number one question is, hey, I'd love to do that. But I have my, my wife and kids and they'd never go. And I couldn't be a, um, away from them for that long. And, you know, loneliness how do you deal with, you know, what people call loneliness? Not to say that you're, when you're alone, you're lonely, but talk about that a little bit. Cause I'm sure a lot of folks ask that question. Yeah. And I definitely do get lonely, Kellen, as time goes on, you know, the first, the first months are so exciting, but then I definitely get lonely. 
and it is a really hard one to deal with and I do struggle with it. Sometimes I stop in a place where I know I'll be able to speak English, like with other foreigners. Um, sometimes I just Skype my family, you know, and so I can see them and video chat. Um, other times I try and, you know, connect with other travelers, like find them online and then meet up and maybe we travel together for a week or whatever. Um, so it's, it's a work in progress for me. It's something that, yeah, I, I still struggle with quite a lot. And it's, it's one of the hardest things about what I do. And I can already hear somebody out there say, wait, this guy's traveling. He's traveling the world. There's so many women out there. What do you mean loneliness? Um, you know, pick up a wife, especially in Africa. Hey, pay that bride price, pick up a wife, put her in the seat and, you know, go. Um, do you think that traveling stops, you know, having like whatever people call a typical relationship? Uh, that's a good question. I've, I've met people on the road who are having a typical relationship, you know, traveling together. There are couples that can make it work. Um, and I did try my, my girlfriend at the time came out to Africa for, for a stint. Um, but it didn't work <laughs> living in a small vehicle like that, uh, ended our relationship. Um, so I, I think it can be done. It just, it's a whole nother level of difficult. You know, you, you stuck together 24 seven in this small living space. And then I guess, you know, the, the, the pushback would be, well, why don't you just bring the RV, the, you know, get the Prevost RV and you can, you know, partage family type travel <laughs> with that. I mean, is that even feasible to go through the countries you did in a bigger vehicle? Uh, it depends where you want to go on the planet. I think East Africa, you could manage it for sure. But West Africa, the places that I went, no, I don't think you would get any kind of RV or even like kind of a like a two-wheel drive sprinter van, I don't think you're going to get through the Congo or through Gabon the way that I did. And, and again, I'm going to just ride this, this whole interview, folks, and say what Dan did is something that I know myself I want to do. My wife is from Cameroon, and she's like, you'll do that without me, and we'll make sure to bump up your insurance even more um, the day you want to do that. Because many Europeans do that. And you find that, you know, there's Africans who will say, mm -mm, I'm not, you know, based on their experience, like I'm not doing that. And I think it's more of a danger because you'll stick out for you to do that than for an African to do that. Um, so, I mean, with that courage that you have, could you one day see yourself doing tours for those who are, you know, not sure that they could do it alone? Yeah, it's definitely something I've thought about because I'm, I'm so passionate about showing people what it looked like and the reality there in Africa. It would be great to take people and, and help to give them the courage so that they can do it themselves because I think everyone can learn how to do it. It's just that at, at first it seems really overwhelming and really like too difficult to kind of grasp. But if I could be there with them for the first couple of months and then give them the knowledge and the courage and then say, yeah, you got this. Like, you don't even need me anymore. You're good on your own. That would be really cool. Easily said. We just brought 30 people a few months ago to Kenya. They want to do more trips. It's almost like people who like that type of travel would be like, Dan, please don't leave me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, even if they're from Africa. I mean, this is a serious conversations I've had with various Africans. And they're like, that is a crazy thing that you even want to accomplish how many people try to talk you out of traveling throughout africa you know by yourself oh yeah i mean a lot of people tried for sure but what i really learned kellen is that 
the people who, who say the worst things or who try to talk you out of it, they've never been. They have no firsthand experience and probably they don't even know anyone that's ever really been. They're just repeating kind of what the media tells them to. But if you seek out people who've really done it, and, and I did before I went, and I said, you know, what do you think of my plan? Every single person said, you're going to have a fantastic time. You'll love it. It's, don't, don't listen to anyone that has never been because they don't mm. know what they're talking about. Wow. And, and, and I know, you know, visually, there's so few people who have captured it like you do, but one, you know, family that has, and I love the show years ago was the Marley's and, you know, they went and drove their motorcycles and I'm like, now that's a little uncomfortable for me, motorcycling all the way down, you know, from the top to the the bottom. Um, But I mean, how did you even find your tribe of people to give you that encouragement? Cause I think in life that's sometimes like the hardest part when you're doing it, something new. Yeah, it is hard. And especially for travelers because we're all over the world, you know, we're out doing it. We're not kind of hanging out at our local bar. Um, but you know, the internet has made things so much easier. Now there's, there's Facebook groups for people driving around the world. There's forums, you know, people have uh, WhatsApp message groups where they're interacting with each other every day. So it's, it's becoming much more common now to find other people doing the same thing. And we have apps on our phones now too, like iOverlander is a really good one. And you can meet people through that and you can, you know, get recommendations on campsites and where to get visas and kind of everything you need to know now you can find online and then you can meet up with other people. Now, I want you to answer this. If it's not in your book, if it's in your book, we're going to tell people, hey, go to page 24. <laughs> but do you talk about how much it cost you to do this um, to- in total? That actually isn't in the book right now. No. Um, and, and I'm really happy to talk about it. But what I try to do, Kellen, is I don't like to just throw the whole number out because it sounds big and it sounds daunting. Mm-hmm. What I've learned over the years is that pretty much everyone driving around the world in a vehicle, they're spending between $1,500 and $2,500 a month for absolutely everything. So that's gas, accommodation, visas, national parks, food, you know, camping, everything. You, know, you can keep it as low as $1,500 a month to see the world. Um, huh. Yeah. And then, you know, so I met people who were driving down the West Coast of Africa, say they were going to do it in six months. They spent less than 10 grand for that, for everything. Wow. wow. Yeah. So you can, you can keep it cheap if you want to. And it, it kind of depends what kind of adventure you want to have. And if you want to eat in restaurants every night and drink a bottle of wine, then you're probably going to spend more than that. Maybe you'll spend like three grand a month or four grand a month, but you, you can keep it cheap if you want to. And, and how do you, um, you know, say in repairs, I'd love that breakdown in your, in your follow-up when you, you do, do the book, because, you know, folks will say, well, what, you had things flip, you had things break, you know, how do you say for repairs, this is going to cost? Because I've had a trucking company and you're always like, man, I already know if that engine blows, I got to have the money for that. And you're on the road where there may not be anybody who can, you know, help you fix your engine. And you must be a great mechanic. You let, you know, you're an engineer, you can put things together. But, you know, how, how did you plan for that to say, I'm going to have this much in repair cost? Yeah. And that's a tricky one. I think you, you just have to put aside a little bit of extra money, you know, a few thousand dollars and say, that's kind of my emergency fund, you know, whatever goes wrong, whether it's 
the vehicle breaks down or it's medical or, you know, something else, I have to fly home for some reason. And it's just kind of a bit of a like insurance fund to, to, as a backup. But with repairing the vehicle too, the funny thing is it doesn't have to be really expensive. I met tons of people in Africa who'd had all kinds of problems and, you know, locals in Africa, they're really good at fixing stuff and they're really good at fixing stuff cheap because they have to in their everyday lives. So when part of their engine breaks, they don't just overnight parts, you know, like DHL it in and and spend a thousand dollars because they can't, that's not even possible. Instead, they like pull it apart, clean it, put a couple of new little pieces in, put it all back together again and it's fixed. So, so think it was funny, actually, friends who got their, their vehicles repaired in Africa, they spent a lot less money than if they had have got them repaired in the US or in Europe. Wow. And, and the purpose of, you know, why we even do that, I do this podcast is because I want to show people what the possibilities are and break down the, oh, I can't do that. And you've talked about some naysayers. I could also hear some naysayers saying, well, okay, well, I could have that money. That's, that's fine. But how do I make money while on the road? And I know, Dan, you're not just banking off YouTube because I know what YouTube checks look like, no matter if you're small or big, and they're never (laughs) what you think they'll be. You know, they shock you sometimes. But how do you make money while on the road? Yeah, and this is a perpetual question for all travelers, and and it's something that a lot of people are always experimenting with. And so for me, I, I did my first trip, Alaska to Argentina. I didn't earn a cent on the road. I just spent my life savings. Uh, and actually, I put a fair bit of it on credit card. So for the next trip for Africa, I, I made it a goal to make money. And so I started writing for magazines. Um, so I had to really improve my photography and I had to improve my writing. And that took years of hard work. But I started to build a relationship with a few magazines. And so I can sell articles to them now for a bit of money. Um, I also, like you said, YouTube and I've written a couple of books now. And so the books are for sale on Amazon, you know, and that brings in a little bit of money on the side. Um, so kind of a few different avenues that bring in, you know, a few hundred dollars a month. So I'm never going to get rich. It's not making my bank account go up, but it slows down how quickly I'm spending my savings account when I'm on the road. Well, we're going to disagree with you on that you're never going to be rich because you are already there. You're just waiting for everyone else to catch up what you're you're doing and the way that you're doing it. Because, you know, there's a lot of YouTubers. I, I, I mean, again, this is what I, I do, but that you have always a positive side, which is a win-win. Because people don't want you to go to a foreign country and just bash the country, which there's plenty of YouTubers who do that. And you're like, why do you travel? Why would you go to, you know, anywhere and just bash it, save your money, you know, stay home. Yeah. But um, you, you always have that positive side. What, where do you get that from? You know, I think, Kellen, I, I just made a choice in my life to, to say, I, you know, I'm going to go and experience new places and I'm going to look on the bright side and I'm going to enjoy it because it is different. And, and in a funny sense, like if, if it's really bothering me or I'm kind of, you know, I'm annoyed that I can't get the food I want or it's, it's not as clean as I want or the roads are bad, I could just get on a plane and fly back here to Canada and like I don't have to deal with it if I don't want to. So it's, it's a choice. And while I'm making that choice, I'm going to live it and I'm going to enjoy it. 
Okay. I mean, okay. So it, it's the Canadian, um, you know, I, I live in Seattle and when I want a smile, let me go up north. <laughs> and <laughs> even getting through the border is so much easier to get into Canada than for an American to come back. You know, they start popping our trunks and we're like, wait, I thought we were coming home and this is your welcome home. Whereas in Canada, they ask you two questions and welcome to Canada. So I, I get it. What part of Canada are you in? Uh, I'm in British Columbia, actually. I'm not far away from you, uh, kind of like right in the middle. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Can you, you know, talk about um, your speaking engagements and, you know, our schools have, have locally or even abroad, have people said, hey, wow, you're doing awesome things. You know, we'd like you to come speak. Yeah. Um, when I got back from Africa, you know, I, I had this amazing experience and I saw all these places that not many people are going to get to see. And so I toured the US in 2019 for the summer and I spoke at kind of Jeep events, four-wheel driving events, overlanding events. And I, you know, I told stories and I have videos of bribery and getting stuck in the mud and all of that stuff. And yeah, people responded really, really well. And it's, it's really good fun to be able to, you know, get people stoked on travel and stoked on the world. And then so for this coming year, I'll be touring across Canada, um, speaking at a bunch of different venues all across the country. Yeah, telling stories about what I did, showing photos. And, and you know, I'm really happy to just answer questions because everyone wants to know, yeah, like, how much did it cost? Like, did you get lonely? What happened when the car broke down? Like, everyone wants to know this stuff. And so I'm happy to help because it's fun. And so on a tour, and please, if you have that link information any, anywhere, make sure I, I have that. Is that set up through an organization? Are you part of Toastmasters or the uh, NSA? Um, how did you get your, your, your tour connect? You know, I'm not part of anything like that, Kellen. I've just been doing it all myself, um, which I kind of enjoy most of all. And I don't actually have like a schedule locked in yet for this coming summer. I'm working on that right now. So probably within the next month, I'll have that dialed in. Um, but yeah, I just basically am renting like community halls, libraries, function centers, theaters, and just showing up and kind of one man show of like, this is what, it, this is what I did when I was in Africa. So I kind of want to, it feels more authentic to keep doing the same thing now instead of paying some big organization to organize stuff for me. Well, and they should be paying you, definitely. Um, you know, we, we don't like to just get the game. I like to give the game and I say, man, Toastmasters, does anybody, anybody watching this? Um, but, you know, but even NSA, because it's a very uh, unique experience where, again, people are doing it all over. But the way that you capture it and the it, it's almost I, I see a big like it could be therapy for you to take groups, you know, around the world, even from Alaska to Argentina. How fun is that? And he's written a book, folks. Go on Amazon and get this book and, and learn more because it may be something that could, you know, really benefit you. I want you to talk about your Kickstarter that you have now, because I want to make sure not that we just support it, but push it out there so people can, you know, um, pledge. Yeah, Kellen. So like you said, I wrote a book about my first trip, Alaska to Argentina. And it's not just like, you know, here's the adventures I had. It's also, there's a whole chapter on loneliness. There's a whole chapter on, you know, how did I uh, deal with being by myself for so long? And then, so now I'm just putting the finishing touches on my second book, which is uh, about the Africa trip. And so again, it has a lot of information about 
my personal feelings and how I thought about Africa as I was moving through it and what I learned about how the world sees Africa versus what it was really like when I got there. Cause it was completely different. It was, it was nothing like people told me it was going to be. Uh, and in all positive ways, it was so much friendlier and happier and kinder, you know, than I ever imagined possible. So I'm running a Kickstarter right now to get that book printed with uh, full color interior photos. So people will get a limited edition version of the book if, if they pledge. And then there's other rewards as well. My other books, I've got a photography book from Africa, some stickers, some patches, things like that. And, you know, it's people hear this and they're like, man, he's written a book. He's one of these rich John Grisham type authors. Let me tell you, writing a book, uh, I've done a, a few. It, it's not today's money. It's tomorrow's money. And you, you know, you wait for that royalty check unless you have some big deal where you still are going to be waiting for a royalty check and have to split it with a whole bunch of people nine out of 10 times. Um, when you're writing these um, books, are you, um, cause you're, you're, you're not, it's a 400 page book. I mean, that you, you're putting out. Um, you're not even trying to break it down where I'm going to give you half the story now and then try to sell you another book. It's like, I'm going to die empty, which I love that. But when you're writing it, what is like the number one message you're trying to push to the audience? You know, the first book, definitely the message was you can do it too because I'm just a regular guy. Like I said, no training, no expertise. And I just wanted to see what happens if I go and live my big dream. And so the whole book is about how approachable and how achievable it all is. And you can do it too. And then the second book, now the Africa one, I'd say that the underlying theme is that Africa is a lot safer, friendlier and happier than we've been told, you know, and, and growing up kind of, you know, in a developed country, the media just tells us time and again, you know, something bad happened. Someone got kidnapped. There was an earthquake. There was a fire. There was a shooting. There was a civil war and there was a famine. And so I think lots of people, when you say the word Africa, they just think that they just think bad. But then, you know, you get to countries like Namibia and Botswana and they're like paradise on earth. They've never had war. They've never had famine. Nothing bad ever happens. People are super friendly and you can go drive around in your car and see elephants in the first like half an hour just out in the wilderness and, you know, camp out under the stars. And it's absolutely paradise for people who love the outdoors and wildlife. But, you know, the media doesn't tell us that. We, we don't get that information. So my book is about shedding light on what it really was like and how people really treated me, you know, because I was just showing up in random villages, didn't speak the language, you know, uninvited, have a different skin color. How are people going to treat me? You know, are they angry? Are they, you know, unwell, you know, unfriendly? But no, in fact, they were more friendly than anyone I've ever met on planet Earth. And, and for the entire three years, it was like that. Yeah. And I tell people Africa is a, you know, and we say Africa and they say, well, which country? Okay. Pick your countries wisely. If you don't want to go somewhere where, you know, there's, you know, civil war going and you're just, and I know you, you, you sometimes had no choice. You had to take the path that chose you, you know, sometimes. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, Africa is, is open like that. And 
I'd even think like corporations would be hitting you up saying, hey, give us your spill. Let us, you know, pick your brain for a consulting fee of, you know, $400 an hour minimum because you've done what we want, we, we won't do. And you can tell us, you know, in the terms of really reaching out to the people. Because when you go, one thing on your videos, it seems like you really connect with the people. You're not just going to take a picture and, you know, hey, I can't wait to Instagram and upload this. You seem to be really connecting in a genuine way. So corporations, if you're out there, this is your guy to say, hey, <laughs> I want to know about this country, that country, especially a country you said Botswana. I mean, Bots has been booming in such a strong GDP for so many years. Um, it, it, it's just, it's wide open for those who, you know, want to adventure. Could you see yourself uh, going back anytime soon? Oh, definitely, Kellen. I mean, I, I was just going through photos last night and I miss it so much. I miss the big smiles, the friendly people. Uh, yeah, I, I will go back to Africa for the rest of my life in one way or another. I think mm -hmm. I'm, I'm too addicted not to. I, I'd be too sad if I didn't go back. Okay, okay. And, and, and you know, what, in Africa, we, we always say, if you have $3,000 a month, you're going to be living very nice in most of Africa, you know, in having, you know, the, the house helps and the drivers and you're going to be comfortable. So that, that YouTube will, will grow. Um, what was your favorite country in Africa? It's really hard to pick one. It, it kind of, because I had so many different experiences and, you know, the weather has a huge impact if it's pouring rain or if it's really hot. Um, but I really loved Gabon on the West Coast. So, you know, mm. just nestled under Cameroon. It's, mm -hmm. it's fairly small and not many people know about it, but it is wilderness like I never imagined possible. Super friendly, happy people who are just easygoing and kind. And then there's a ton of wildlife as well out in the jungle. They have forest elephants. They have gorillas, hippos. You can go to the beach. You can go up into kind of these big green rolling hills near the Congo. It, it really felt like kind of jungle paradise if there is such a thing. And I really loved it. And you're, you're at least bilingual. How, how many languages do you speak? Well, I, <laughs> I speak Spanish reasonably well. I learned on my first trip. And then I learned French on the West Coast of Africa. Um, so, I mean, you know, I speak African French. So when, when I was in France and I tried to speak French, no one would respond to me. <laughs> but in Africa, you know, people are just so friendly and happy. And, and for a lot of them, French is their second or third or fifth language anyway. So they're, mm. they're not going to criticize if you pronounce things a bit wrong. Yeah. yeah, you know, sometimes being in Paris, and I'm going to throw out Germany as well, it's like being in, I'll say, the US. If you don't speak English, that is a little kind of an attitude. And some folks are like, hey, I don't speak English, I speak Texan. And, you know, folks <laughs> up north are like, ah, you know, it's these weird things. So did you learn French on the travels? Or, I mean, being in Canada, I know you're not on the, the French side of things but did you have any practice beforehand you know it's funny you ask that because i got back from argentina and i learned spanish kind of on the road and it was so much fun and i was enjoying it so when i got back to canada i signed up for french classes you know sit in a classroom learn french and it was useless i hated it <laughs> they, they just wanted to teach us like how to say grandmother and window and like 
I'm like, I'm never going to use those words. I want to know how to say like, please and thank you and maybe and sometimes and which way to the store and, you know, like useful stuff. So I pretty much gave up on French lessons after a month. And then I just learned once I hit Morocco in Africa, I just started learning and I'd like jot down all these words in my notebook and I'd, I'd point at things and ask people, how do I say that? And then write it down and just kind of learned as I went along. And, and I loved it again. It was so much fun because I really want to be able to talk to people. It, you know, out of the necessity, I've, I took in high school and college all the, you know, these languages, but it's when you get and have to use it, have to take a taxi, have to, you know, get lost in the city. That's when you really learn. And so, no, I, I agree with you. The classroom learning, it's like, I get it. But I don't have, you know, five, 10 years like I'm in elementary school. <laughs> exactly go. right. Yeah. And it's when you're there too, I found it's partly when you're lost and you need to speak the language, but it's also when you just want to enjoy yourself. You know, you see some people sitting on the beach, look like they're enjoying themselves. You just want to say hello and like, where are you from? And what's life like here? And, you know, what do you do for a job? And, you know, is that expensive? And just kind of interact with people and get to know what life is like in their country. That's, I find, what really motivates me to learn the language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I had, um, I was probably maybe 20, and a guy, um, last train of the night in Paris, jumped in front of the train, and he killed himself. Cool. Um, and all the lights go out and everything. And I tell you, scariest times, I'm listening, but I don't know really what's going on, but to get yeah. what I need to get, the the, the French that I... the did know came out enough to find someone who, you know, spoke English to, and the girl walked me back to my hotel room and didn't even want anything, wouldn't take mm. money, nothing. So it's just a, you know, out of necessity, you will learn. Um, what did you pick up any uh, dialects uh, on the way, you know, any pigeon, uh, West African pigeon or anything? You know, I tried hard to learn one or two words in whatever the local language was, usually just like, hello. And, mm -hmm. you know, just a nice greeting, but I really, I didn't spend enough time to learn enough. So not really, no, unfortunately. Okay. And how did you pick how much time you would spend in each place? Was it just a feeling or did you have like a set schedule? No, I just travel by feeling entirely, Kellen. So like when I get into a country, I try to just learn what it's about and do I feel safe and does it look happy and are there lots of places I want to visit? You know, I kind of look on a map and I'm like, oh, there's a waterfall, there's a mountain, there's a river, there's a lake, there's a national park, you know, and so then I plot a bit of a course and I travel around and I really just feel it out, you know, and then some countries like Angola, I'd only been there a week and I already knew I needed to extend my visa, like a month wasn't going to be long enough because it's just so beautiful and people are so amazing. Mm -hmm. But then other countries I was in, I think Benin, and it's a pretty small country and I'd been there like two weeks and I was like, ah. Eh, that's kind of enough. I think I, I can move on now. So I really just make it up as I go along. And, you know, you say that, my, you're so open because here you go from, you know, uh, French speaking to Portuguese speaking, and you're like, hey, I, I'm comfortable here. Uh, and, you know, people say, well, you know, Spanish. Okay, different language. <laughs> There's a reason why they got different names because sometimes you get the, the trolls who say, you know, this guy is a renaissance man. He had it all together. Can you let people know, did you have any corporate backing or any sponsors that if all went to Hades, you would be able to call and say, hey, get me out of this jam? No, no, I had nothing like that at all. Um, 
I do have a few corporate partners who supplied parts for the Jeep, uh, but they were not supplying any money and they certainly were not on the end of a telephone to help me out in any way if there was a jam. It really was just the Jeep and I, and it really was, I was in it. I was committed. And I always knew, you know, if the Jeep had burned down or, you know, when I rolled it, if it had been destroyed, like that was it. The trip was over. I just would have had to somehow get out of there and be like, I'm done. Did you have traveler's insurance? I personally have traveler's insurance, uh, mostly just like medical evacuation. So if something, Mm -hmm. you know, a really major car crash and I have to pay for a helicopter or whatever. Um, but the Jeep itself didn't have, you know, comprehensive insurance. So if I had driven it off a cliff, that's it, it would be gone and I wouldn't get any money. Okay. And, and people will hear, oh, wait, you can have a helicopter get you or, and it could be a private plane too, people, but it's the last type of way you ever want to fly private. So it's really an emergency if, you know, you got a helicopter or a private plane flying you back home. Something yeah. Else. And I think... In a lot of countries, you know, even a helicopter would be a stretch and it would take a lot of organizing and a lot of time. So, you know, if, if you had a real medical emergency, you're probably better off just to get in the back of whatever pickup truck is going past because you're going to get where you need to be faster than if you wait around for some helicopter. And did, um, what is your community give back? in everything that you're doing. I mean, I I can already hear throughout, you know, your YouTubes and everything, everything that you are doing is a give back, but is is there anything else that, you know, you're giving back to the community or want to give back to the community? Yeah, definitely. I really, really enjoy inspiring and encouraging other people to get out there. And so one of the biggest things I do, like actually I'm flying to California on the weekend to, um, to speak at an event. I just love to show people and tell people, here's how you do it. Here's where you're going to get the visas. You know, here's how much it's going to cost. Here's what you need to organize. You can go here, 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 and here, and it's really safe. So I feel like my community give back is to help other people have all of the knowledge that I learned because I had to sort of collect it from all over the place and then like figure some of it out the hard way. But now I can just help people. It's almost like I have the cheat codes and I can just give them to people. and, And I love doing that. And it's a beautiful thing. I want the audience to go learn more on the YouTube. Do you have a podcast? I don't have a podcast, Kellen, no. Not yet, but I'm going to (laughs) be sending him something and saying, hey, get paid for your podcast today because it's a total double dip. That's what we do here at Diversified Game. I mean, we only bring on people that are interesting, have an impact, And we want them to, you know, just keep on going because the more they know, the more we learn. And so, no, Dan, I appreciate you coming on. I have to not give everything you've written in this 400-page book so people go buy it and don't think, oh, I heard it already on the interview. No, go get the book. Great storyteller. Always, you want to know more. So we're going to leave it at that. You guys have gotten the game. His info is in the description box. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe. And I appreciate you, Dan, for coming on. Thank you, Kellen, for having me. This has been great fun.